Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. I remembered this morning something of the, uh, I'm just going to use it in the sermon, so while we're waiting for this to come up, um, I remembered this morning this really, have you ever had really weird, awkward encounters over God stuff in your life with people? Like it was really, really awkward, but you knew it was God. So probably about three months in after Brenda and I had moved to Balnahinch, Northern Ireland, and we'd been going to this small Presbyterian church, and uh, and we did so many, you know, we we just didn't understand culture and stuff, and we did so many odd things that made us stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, really awkward, you know. Like we didn't know there was a pattern when um, when the pastor said, "All rise to begin worship." That meant for the worship team to rise up first and go up into the up up onto the stage, and then. After they were in place, then everybody else stood up. Well, they were Brenda and I. She said, rise. So there we were, just like Lazarus, straight up out the grave. And so it was really awkward. And then about three months later, you know, because we were, we were living our lives the way we had always lived our Christian lives and in the culture that we had lived in and the charismatic culture and um, everything that we had known, one of the elders invited me over for tea that morning, and I didn't know him well. I, he wasn't one of the reasons I had gone to Northern Ireland or anything. He was just an elder in the church, and I'm sure a very fine man, but I didn't know him at all. He has me over to tea. We have tea and biscuits, which means like a, a little cake, a little sweet thing, and we were having tea and biscuits, and uh, he got done, and he said, I would like to sing for you now. And I went, okay. And so he got out his accordion and he sat this far from me and me sitting there and he played three hymns on it and sang them, several, several choruses of it, on his accordion. And he got done and he said, there. And I went, okay. And then he told me about his life in the Troubles and cried and you wouldn't know what the troubles were but it's basically living in a land of you didn't know what bomb was going to go off in what car and uh, I th- and I've thought about it so many times that even though it was really it was mysterious <coughs> hello and awkward <laughs> awkward mic drop awkward you know he was living out of his faith and he was trying to be who he was with somebody else that he didn't know well and didn't understand his culture. And I think we do that for each other. And it's really important is, is that we be patient with each other's acts of kindness and godliness. And it may be awkward and weird. Just receive it. Just know that somebody's trying to let you know who they are and who they are in God. And that their life is a mystery. Who knows where you came from? 
who knew, you know, I was just complimenting the Bonafides on their last name and where I am, that's high and, high and mighty on, on nameless, you know, how'd you get that name, you know? And, because uh, I don't know, with me it was mama said, you're not Bonafide, <laughs> you know, in most of my life, so from brother, oh brother, where art thou? But they are Bonafide, and I like the name, it is the most solid name I could think of naming anybody. This is truth. This is truth that the early church believed in. This is truth that was taught to the heart of a believer. That no matter where they went or who they interacted with in life, they knew this statement. They could say it together and it was meaningful to them. And it harnessed who they were. It became their creed. It gave them credibility. It was a truth that made it that they not only knew in their own heart, but they wanted to live out. So would you say together with me, we believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell and the third day he arose again from the dead. You'll have to change it. My little clicker's not doing it. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. Isn't that a powerful creed? This is, this is the harness. It's not as complicated as we think. You know, last week I talked about simplicity and finding uh, your five themes. And we've been on a, if we can switch out of this, there we go, there we go. Everything working right. We've been on uh, a study from Second Peter in chapter 1. And it started earlier this year, actually early in the summer, about how God's economy works. And economy not being the word in, in the sense that we use it today strictly meaning money, but the economy of God, meaning the values he sets. Some would call them kingdom values. And it's the operation and the principles by which God ordains and sees us and allows us and helps us to grow in our understanding of, you, of him. And God doesn't do economy the way we do. So, when we do things like we add things into our life, God sees that and he multiplies them back to us. God rewards us in a way that goes beyond what we could ever think and imagine. And that's the promise that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. He says, look, this is beyond anything you could think of. This is beyond your imagination. And God has a storehouse for each of us, I believe this with my whole heart, in which his economy flourishes. 
We have a tendency not to see it. We do like what the John Mark McMillan song says. We're invited into the the table of the Lord to eat at his table, but we sit outside of the gates, outside of a chain link fence. We can see it, but we never go in. We rattle the fence. Give me this, God. He goes, come eat, (laughs) come drink. Through Isaiah, he said, with, with things that can't be purchased with money. And that he'll, he'll be there and that his economy is there for us. So understanding that, Peter says that, uh, that grace and peace is multiplied to us in the knowledge of God. So then there's a knowledge that comes from God that we're supposed to get. It does take effort. You don't just get it by just going through life and ignoring God. As you engage God in his presence, things, the understanding of who God is starts flowing in our lives. And the result is we get grace and peace. Grace and peace are two commodities that are powerful in our lives. Um, I don't make any decision if I don't have the peace of God. That's how you know that you're on the right track of making the right decision. When you're at peace with God, you're not like, oh, is this a mistake? If you keep questioning, should I do this or should I? I'm not sure if I should do this. Well, keep knocking on the door, but know this. If you can't get peace, I wouldn't do it. That's just being old now or older. I just know that from my life, that uh, if I don't have peace, I ain't doing that. And you shouldn't do it. Uh, Now, there's a should and a shouldn't, but not without legalism. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the understanding and that that's a commodity of God. So, we're right. We're moving towards the end of this thing that Peter, in in his letter is asking us to do. So 2 Peter 1.5 says this, For also this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So faith is what we believe to be true about God. You're adding, I believe in God. The things that we just said a, a minute ago. And that we're adding virtue or valor to our lives. And to valor we add knowledge. We have the wisdom of God. I'm not stupid I have the wisdom of God flowing in me. I can know God's thoughts. So we add that into our life. And to knowledge, self-control, which is self-government. I, I know where to draw the lines. I know what to say. I know how to do it. And to self-control, perseverance, which is what we looked at last week. And perseverance being steadfastness, a word that we don't use often today. Uh, by the way, these are all on the on our New Day website, and you can get the teachings. I try and be mindful to put them up early in the week, but I sometimes get caught with other things, and way leads unto way, and I finally come back to that path and get it up there, but usually by Friday. So they're up, and you can get them. And then he says this, to perseverance, godliness. Now you think that that would be the first thing that you would have to add. But remember, he's building a, almost a stairway here. And so this issue of godliness is huge. To godliness, we add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember where we started with 1 Peter, you know, that uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So these are things that, yes, we're doing, but they're in junction with the life of God who lives in you. So, defining godliness. What is godliness? What do you think godliness is? Wait, is this like one of those class? Being like God. Looks like Jesus. What else? There's not, I'm not looking for a right or wrong answer. I'm looking to see what you think about what godliness is. Mansoor, indeed. If I said to you that Mansoor is a godly man, what does that mean about his life? What have you seen? <laughs> That's a lie. Want me to call you out, brother? Oh, he's a godly man. I just think filled with all the fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit, which are? Love, peace, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, and there's a few more. <laughs> of which, against which there is no law. Do not approach you. Yeah. Morality. Godliness has to do with morality. It guides our morals, our choices. It's a one place, this one word, if you look it up through a concordance and look up in the original language and stuff, it's one of these words that it happens every once in a while where the English dictionary definition and the concordance, the dictionary of Greek and Hebrew words, actually pretty much align themselves and are identical. Its meaning, and in the meaning of it as it's expanded, it implies a soundness to one's being. Uh, piety, which is another word we don't use anymore, uh, means you're devout. In your holiness and in your life regarding how you view how to live. It's often tied or untied to behavior. What you see about yourself and the struggles that we go through, what Mansoor just said about himself, and what others say about us. To make sure that we're being humble, we often don't want to, as you would say, toot your own horn. You know, let others praise you. There's a whole lot of good principles there. Um, but we don't want to acknowledge that we're filled with godliness. Because that would come off as, it feels like it's coming off as arrogant. So I'm going to say what might appear like an arrogant statement to you. I'm a very godly man. How can you say that? Because God loves me, lives in me, and I love him back. And he directs my paths. He's my Lord. I yield to him on things. I question what I should do or not do with him before I do any, almost anything. So, are you a godly person? Yeah. You wouldn't be sitting here if you weren't. Oh, I'm living in rebellion right now. Really? If you were in rebellion to God, you wouldn't be here. 
rebellious people don't do that. This is a, this have, I understood this years ago when I started doing a discipleship program. And I had a lot of knuckle-headed young adult kids. They were 18 to 24. And yes, 24, you can still be a knucklehead. And they, were, they would just live in their lives and trying to find God. And we'd send them out on work assignments. And they would get snotty because they didn't want to do the work. And they would give it back to the person that they were actually working for and all that. And somebody, one guy, this guy that we sent them out to help with a paint job one time, came back and said to me, oh, they are so rebellious. And I just looked at him and I said, are you kidding me? They just paid me $1,200 to tell them what to do every day of their life. They're not rebellious. They might be immature. They might be stupid. But they're not rebellious. I said, I think you'd better go look up the word rebellious, which in the Old, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for re rebellion ha has to do with witchcraft. They're not that. I'm not that. So am I godly? Yes. How do you know when somebody's godly? What is this godliness? You see it in their life choices, in their behavior, the way they comport themselves, carry themselves through life, how they arrive at decisions, how they treat other people. Um, Being good. And being good can be understood to being godly. It can also have a charge of hidden badness when we don't see it, when it doesn't hold true. This is one of the most famous quotes that I, I, just, I just really enjoy it because of who the man was. But Mark Twain is noted as saying this. Well, he was a good man in the worst sense of the word. He understood humanity and human behavior, wrote profoundly about it throughout all, his whole life because he had trouble getting a grip on this. Uh, people that seemed to proclaim a lot of godliness hurt a lot of people. And he couldn't align those two very well because justice was such a huge issue to him. And he, and he saw it in his writings and stuff. And so... Um, you know, his, his most famous story was about racism. It was a hard story because it, it dealt with the values inside of people's heart and he got at the real issues. Now they want to ban it out of schools because it uses bad names, bad words. And yet it's one of the most clear depictions of how wrong racism is and where it, its root is, which is in... <laughs> the evil things that we think in our hearts about others because we don't know them and don't recognize them and it's a mystery and we get confused and don't know how to treat them. It's like sitting and listening to an Irishman play an accordion for three hymns. You go, what was that about? You know what it was about? He was trying to be godly. He, had got, he was adding godliness in his life. This guy's a pastor He's come in from the outside. He thinks he's passionate about God. I want to show him how I'm passionate about God. Now, I don't mind an accordion, but I knew 
Uh, and I, this is what I know about that man. He had a mystery of godliness in him. He was a godly man. How the word godliness used today is mostly tied to religion, isn't it? Mostly. To our values, the reflection of Christian behavior. And it's understood, here's what's interesting, it's understood by both Christians and non-Christians. Non-Christians understand this also. The word in its original meaning was original meaning was less that your behavior affected the person who you are, but that who you are affected your behavior. If you say you're this and have a creed that you're following, then why doesn't your life portray it? The non-believer says. Why doesn't uh, it do that because an authentic, real, you know, image of that doesn't have worldly standards but has a different standard. Is it fair that we're held to a higher standard of godliness? Yes, it's fair. God is at work in our lives. It should be the most fair thing to us. Um, the trouble is, it's just has a way of sanding, doesn't it? Because I make mistakes. And if I, my mistake is made in such a way that others see it, whether those are people that are close to me, but and then especially when they're people who don't know anything about me, but know I'm this, oh, does it sand hard. One of the weirdest things for me in being in vocational ministry was not meeting other Christians, it was meeting non-Christians. Oh, say you got on an airplane to go to a conference to talk about the most alive thing in the universe, and you're sitting next to somebody and they go, oh, and what do you do for a living? Knowing that the minute I said it, it would change our whole ethos of how we were trying to relate to each other. At first, they wanted to know me. But now I said, well, I'm a pastor. You know, it's sort, of, it's sort of like going to AA. <laughs> you know, hi, my name is Lloyd, and I'm a pastor. <laughs> because everything then suddenly changes. And it often came back to, what kind of pastor are you? Well, just normal, regular, everyday one. Sometimes I bite my tongue, but... Uh, so we have this idea, and then their behavior would change so that, it, you know, they went, yeah, I, I, I went to church twice this year. You know, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if you ever go to church in the big sense of it. But you see how that, the, the idea of godliness and how it affects us, what it means. <sighs> it reflects in our lives, godly traits. We do start, what you said, looking like Jesus. We should. If God's being added into our life, um, in any given situation, setting, or anything, and then we also know this. So, so this is where the other side flips in, the believer side, that I'm, I am a Christian. Uh, we know because 
Our own weaknesses and failures are easy for us to see. We sometimes get into some pretty heavy denial over them, but they're easy to see. And we know that there is only one who lived it without deviation from it, without failure in it, and that's Jesus. Jesus was godliness. Jesus is godliness. He always was. Look at this scripture. This is from Hebrews 1. We can get an, an inkling of how godliness works and what it means. So it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now remember who he's writing to Hebrews. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, and who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When we look at Jesus, we look at the Father. What is God like? Someone asks. He's just like Jesus. God looks like Jesus. And the godliness that came out of Jesus and his behavior, that he never once deviated from any of that, he was godly from the time he was born until the time he died and was raised. This sounds like that Apostles' Creed that we talked about. Yes, it's godliness. Jesus expressed he was the image of God. Now that idea is something we need to hang on to. We find it in this. This is another very famous uh, you know, out of each of these passages of scriptures, there's 400 sermons. You can just pick it up at any point and start preaching. But this is the passage in John, just before he goes to the cross. He's with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, they know something heavy is coming down. He's talking to about it. He's sharing the most intimate things from his heart. And here we'll pick it up in verse 6. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whew. Talk about a creed. <laughs> if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip, that's Philip is you and I. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Oy vey. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to express, I, I don't know how he didn't have a snotty attitude and a snotty answer, but he answered it with godliness. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? 
The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. There's a key there. Didn't speak on his own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of my godliness. For the sake of the works themselves. Godliness was how he lived his life. It was evident in the works that he did. The things that he chose to say and not say. How he responded to people when they came to him with illegitimate things and legitimate things. He never, there was no variation of a theme with him. He was the express image of God. And he answered with godliness and he said, the reason I can do that, so this is Lloyd's loose alliteration version. The reason he could do that was because the Father was in him. And he was in the Father. The reason you can say I'm godly is because God is in you. And you are in God. You are in Christ. He gave it to us as a gift because we couldn't do it. Because we couldn't be godly. He did for us and then took ungodliness into himself. (laughs) Died for it. And rose from the dead so that you could be godly. Do you remember Lord of the Rings and Boromir with the Ring of Power? Oh, it is a precious thing. We treat it like an everyday thing. We have a ring of power. I'm a godly man. Who? When I add this in my... Now, not adding you were good at one point in time, adding the fact that God is in you. Not adding, oh, I didn't cuss at them there when they cut me off on the road. Having a pretty good day, Lord. No. God lives in me. I can say with Jesus now, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I'm in Christ. I'm godly. It directs me. Does that mean you will never make a mistake and do something ungodly? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that he made a way even for that. And that's to come back through the harness of grace. And the same thing that got you in is the thing that takes you on. I'm being, when I'm ungodly, I'm being the wrong image. I'm trying to be somebody I'm not. We've empowered sin. We think sin is so powerful that if you're not careful, you're going to blow it again tomorrow. And we will talk that truth to ourselves. That's not my creed. Be sure that Lloyd will blow it tomorrow. It is not my creed. God has been merciful to me and will be with me even on my worst day. That's my creed. That's how I live. And that's called godliness. Is this making sense? It's a, it's a wrong harnessing of this word. We got, this really takes a, a good long journey because when we don't express godliness, others see it, see it as not genuine, not bona fide, inauthentic. 
If you say that you're that, then why don't you do it? So that takes more godliness to explain to ungodly what ungodliness and and godliness is and does in my life. It's not just me behaving or misbehaving. It's me living in Christ. Jesus knew that he was in relationship with God his entire being. The minute he started having conscious thought. You know, we don't get to see much of Jesus' childhood, but can you imagine what it was like when you were 12 and they took you up to the temple and then inside of you went, I think I'm going to go talk to the elders. Got a few things I'd like to say to them. What? That's mic drop. Kid, you'll poke your eye out. (laughs) You're 12. You don't need a BB gun. He went in there with a howitzer. And they were stunned because he was godly at 12. It's amazing, isn't it? This stuff just, it blows me away when I start studying. I go, oh, geez, nobody but you. Only you could think of these things and do it this way for our lives. Jesus was authentic at all times. He knew he was in relationship with the Father and that it was the presence of God in his life that defined who he was, how he spoke, the way he made decisions, and how he behaved towards others in life. The life of God from the Father was being lived out in him and through him. Trying to be godly was not a goal for his life. That's where we get off kilter. Him being godly wasn't a goal. People pretending to be godly, this is where religion comes in, but living in duplicity and add the assumption of arrogance almost end up having their ungodliness exposed. When godliness becomes inauthentic in our lives, it's because we know what's godly. Christ is in us, and we know what's not godly. Now, think about this. For each of you as believers, and me, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm first in line, but I'm in line. I know what truth is. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in me. You know what truth is. You know what's right. And you know what's wrong. And when you go through your times of temptation to do the wrong, the Holy Spirit's always there going, that ain't right. (laughs) Shh, shh, shh. I'm not sure if I should do this or not. What can I say to you again? That ain't right. You know, don't you? When you're fighting the temptation, you ever fought the temptations? Sure you have. Everybody raise their hand. (laughs) Me, count me in with that one. So we go through those things. I know what's false and I know what's real, not because I'm extremely discerning. I know it because the Holy Spirit's in me and he is extremely discerning. I just didn't know that was the wrong thing to say. 
Yeah, you did. Matter of fact, you were trying to grab the words as they came out of your mouth. Because they were coming out like arrows, and you're going, this is somebody you love, and you're shooting arrows at You're going, <clears throat> and then when we process it later, we go, I don't know why I said that to you. Well, that's somewhat true, but not completely true. Complete truth is you weren't being bonafide. You weren't being who you are. You weren't the real deal. You weren't being authentic. It wasn't an authentic portrayal of who you are in Christ. It was not authentic at all. We do that because we try to make godliness a goal. And when we add the assumption of arrogance, we get exposed. And it gets exposed. There's been wonderful times, and I know that you've probably had this too, where the, you've done something ungodly, and the Holy Spirit comes to you and goes, Lloyd, that was not who you are. Those are wonderful times. But then every once in a while, he allows it where it gets seen by somebody else. And they, but they don't go, Lloyd, that's not who you are. They go, Lloyd, is that who you are? Instead of the statement of Christ telling you always, because he's always godly, who you are, you get the statements when you're inauthentic from others that say, is that who you are? It becomes a question. They start questioning your godliness. You say you're this, but it doesn't look like that. So for me, there's three words that are associated, and this is what I gained out of the study and what I've gained through my life and the understanding of it. There's three words associated with the word godliness that can help us understand true godliness and stay on the journey. It's those three words. Discernment, authenticity, and credibility. This first one's really huge. This discernment thing... Where are we at? Oh, you know, this, this one lesson is going to take maybe two or three weeks because it's big, but it's like if we can get it, it I want to get it to you because it's really important to me and in my study. So if you'll give me five to seven more minutes of your attention and then we'll continue on. But the idea of discernment is so distorted and it has been so used by Christians over and over and over again actually to make good use of their judgment that they don't like something. So we talk about discernment. I have discernment over that. Um, This is what Paul was referring to and understood about discernment to Timothy. Uh, he writes in here, I hope I can come to you soon, 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. But now I am writing these directions to you. He said, I, I want to do this face to face, but I got to give you some directions on how. Because Timothy was left in charge of taking care of the church and churches that Paul planted. He said, then if I have to put off my visit, you will know how you should act in God's family. 
The family of God is the church of the living God. It is the pillar and foundation of the truth. There's no doubt that godliness is a great mystery. That means I, uh, we have to come to an understanding of this. It's mysterious. It's a man playing an accordion to me. Why is he doing that? He says, here's the mystery. And then he starts saying, you need to understand these things. Jesus appeared in a body. He was the express image of God the Father. The Holy Spirit proved that he was Son of God. We can see by the works that he did that he belonged to the Father. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. This is before it went out over all the nations. People in the world believed in him. He was taken up to heaven in glory. What does that have to do with godliness? If I begin to believe these things and they're added in my life and I start studying them and add the knowledge of God, godliness starts growing in me. How important is it to you that Jesus rose from the dead? Very? In your everyday life? This is what Paul said about it. He was raised for your justification. What? The only right standing you have is because he was raised from the dead. Oh, that's a different creed. That truth has meaning that goes beyond the meaning of it. He, do I believe that Jesus was raised for the dead? Yes, I'm to be pitied if I don't because I'm still stuck in my sin and still doing sin management day after day after day after day, deciding what's godly and what isn't. Now I'm justified. I know what godliness is. And I know what it isn't. <laughs> Almost immediately, I can discern these truths. Uh, you got to read the way the Phillips reads in this. Because this, this is... You ever, like, use the Phillips translation every once in a while. Some of it's a little bit wordy. And you go, huh? But, oh, my gosh. Uh... That guy Phillips, J.B. Phillips, knew what he was doing. He understood the Greek. At the moment of writing, I hope to be with you soon. But if there should be any considerable delay, then what I have written will show you the sort of character men of God's household ought to be. Ooh. And Excuse me, uh, what they ought to have. It is, remember, the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth, of the truth. No one can deny that this religion of ours is a tremendous mystery, resting as it does on the one who showed himself as a human being. It rests on him. And met as such every demand of the spirit in the sight of angels as well of men. He fulfilled everything. Then after his restoration to the heaven from whence he came, he has been proclaimed among men of different nationalities and believed in all parts of the world. My godliness isn't dependent on me being godly. My godliness is dependent on God being godly in my life 
And I live it in such a way that he comes out, not me. I'm a godly man. I'm a godly woman. I don't do those things because, because of the issue. I've discerned that that's not right. No, I don't do them because I'm godly. Not because they're right or wrong. Right or wrong has to do with the law. You can know what's right or wrong from the law. That's why the ungodly know it. That's why the law still exists and is there. I'm not anti-law at all. The law shows us what's right and wrong. But discernment, now that's different. The discernment is where we see things in true truth. And that's what Phillips is writing here. I'm going to skip that one and go right to that. Because this is where we have made a mistake in godliness and in understanding godliness. This is Spurgeon, and he wrote, Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Only godly people can do that. So tell me, what is love? What is human love? If love is love, then it, it can be portrayed in any way that's loving. No, it can't. It can look really distorted and perverted. Because it takes a truth and sands away the true truth. So that you go... What does love look like? Love looks like Jesus. Love looks like Jesus. John wrote, God is love. Jesus doesn't look like that other thing at all in any way, shape, or form. Is this, is this holding meaning? Is this... Of all the times in my history and your history in this generation, it is going to be really important that you are able to discern what is truth and almost truth. And it is upon that that you stand in your godliness and say, no, that's ungodly. That's against God. That's not right. Now, if you want to live that way, I can be merciful to you. I can be kind to you. I can be generous to you. I can treat you as you should be treated as a child of God in the sense of being part of his creation. But that doesn't mean that I condone a twisting of that into something horrible, horribly off. I discern that because of who God is. And that's why this quote's so important. The other one simply takes the law. This takes the image of God planted in you. The image of Jesus planted deep in your hearts so it generates and sticks and prepares and proclaims your character. I'm a Christian not because I don't like the things non-Christians do. I'm a Christian because I believed in those things that we just proclaimed. I'm a Christian because of who God is, not because of who I am. Oh, that's a game changer. Now I've got discernment. I don't do that 
not because it's wrong. I don't do it because it's not godly. Because God lives in me. I, I know I'm hammering this, but if we can get this down, then we will be people that even if we're sitting and playing an accordion for them, they'll get it. They'll, they'll know. Just like I did with that man who was playing the accordion to me. He was expressing his godliness to me. He believed in the hymns that he was playing and singing to me. It was important to him. He was portraying to me his godliness. It took me years after I was gone from there before I realized how an important meeting that was. I was sitting before one of the saints of God who was playing to me hymns of God. I was chosen. I just didn't have the discernment to hear what I was hearing. I walked away going, what on earth was that? Boy, that was awkward. Oh, I dare say probably 80% of our awkward encounters is God trying to speak to you about the godliness he has in store for your life. Yeah? You're a godly person. So let's close with this. Put your hand on your heart. And say with me, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. I believe that He lives in me. I believe that He's here in my life. I believe He also is in heaven directing my life. I believe I can follow him. I believe I can be a godly person because of who he is. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, saints. We'll continue this.